0: Ken, you can barely handle your own personal life and yet somehow you think you're going to go and handle the personal lives of all of the women in Texas. Ken, worry about yourself.
1: We got to address the suburban women problem because it's real. Welcome to the Suburban Women Problem, a podcast from Red, Wine, and Blue.
2: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rachel Venman. I'm Amanda Weinstein. And this is the Suburban Women Problem. This week, we were so excited to get a chance to talk with Florida Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She's actually my representative now. She's also one of many powerhouse women in Congress, and it was so cool to get to talk to her. Jasmine wasn't able to join us on today's recording session, but she was able to be part of that interview, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. But first, before we can get to that, we do need to talk about the news. Amanda, my goodness. There's so
0: much. I mean, we have to start with Texas. We do. There has been drama after drama of like, this is great. Like every time you think like this has been the most dramatic abortion case ever, like something else happens to make it more dramatic. So the lower court in Texas ruled that a woman whose fetus has a fatal birth defect uh, which potentially has health implications for her. Uh, she had to ask the court for permission to get an abortion, and the lower court did rule it. You can actually watch a video of her finding out the lower court's ruling.
2: Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually like, that. you know what happened when you watch that video? But knowing the way it is now is like completely heartbreaking, isn't it? It's heartbreaking. She just
0: breaks down into tears, relieved that she is going to be getting this healthcare that she needs for her own health to maintain her health, to also maintain her fertility and be allowed to make the choice she wants to make. And you just see the relief of her sitting there in front of the judge. And it very much to me, as I know I've said it before, and we talked about this, you're watching a death panel, right? You are watching her beg for healthcare,
2: you know, I, I have to say that analogy. You talked about it before, but you reminded, you tweeted about it, and you did it in the group chat this weekend. And I have to say, it is just so powerful, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about that because it's true. It is a death panel, and when you watch that video of that court proceeding, it is really like what I imagine death panels, which actually aren't a thing, but um, we've been scared and believed that they are a thing, but. They are
0: now brought to you by Dobbs and the Republicans. Yeah, I remember hearing stories of from a woman who said she came from a conservative family. She said before this was before Roe v. Wade, and she remembered her dad going in and begging the hospital's lawyers to allow his wife to get an abortion to save her life, begging, pleading, crying, and them saying no. Like to me, that is what we are back to now. And despite this lower court's ruling of saying, all right, you can get this abortion, which she's so relieved, now we have the Texas Attorney General threatening to prosecute any doctor who went through with this. And then the Texas Supreme Court temporarily blocked the lower court's ruling that would have allowed her to have this abortion. I mean, just imagine your whole, your personal life being plastered in the news like this.
2: Yeah, so I can't. I mean, I just like, what is is wrong with this? Like, what kind of person looks at this and says, that's what I want. That's exactly what we hope we get here. Bam, we're off to the races now. Like, I read something this morning that was basic. That was saying like, no. The headline I haven't even read the article, but um, it was like, no real Republicans are giving any uh, attention to Nikki Haley or using any political capital on Nikki Haley. That's what it said. And I, my first thought was, they're also not using any political capital on this abortion issue. They're just being silent about it. They refuse to say anything because I guess they don't want to admit they were wrong, for one. And they don't want to admit that they support policies that supported this. But instead of saying like, look, we were wrong, this is not what they mean. You have Kim Paxton, the Attorney General of Texas, who admits to having an affair. His staff has testified that his affair impacted their jobs, impacted their life, the way he ran his office as Attorney General of the state of Texas. And there's also some he's going to be facing a court case because of mishandling of funds or something like this, also in relation to his extramarital affair. So don't talk to me about morality.
0: I will say it does remind me of something I have to tell my children quite often is to worry about yourself, right? I am always shocked at the amount of help they would like to give their siblings when they cannot even handle finding where their own shoes are or forgetting where their coat is. Like, worry about yourself. Like, clearly, Ken, you can barely handle your own personal life, and yet somehow you think you're going to go and handle the personal lives of all of the women in Texas. Ken, worry about yourself.
2: One hundred. Yeah, you're right. I mean, again, I will bring up my dad's favorite thing that he used to tell me worry about Rachel. It's a full-time job. And he was <laughs> right. So, and, and that was way beyond when I was your children's age. But uh, it's true. Worry about yourself. It's a full-time job. A lot of people make choices I would never make for myself. And you know what? It doesn't have any effect on my life, my marriage, my family, what happens in my home. And that's what people need to realize. But What it does for someone like Kim Paxton is making a big deal out of this, making a mountain out of a molehill. He thinks it buys them political capital. And you know what the sad truth, Amanda, is that time and time again, we've shown that this does buy them political capital. That if they can be strong on this one thing that they've chosen, that people will overlook extramarital affairs. Because I'll tell you one thing about the Bible. It's pretty clear that all sin is sin. There are no sins that are worse than other sins. Adultery, if you want to call abortion murder, which I actually don't agree with that, but they would be the same. And he is saying like, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to really just stand for life. But this other thing, yeah, I'm not really going to follow that rule because that's not convenient for me. I love that. You can't pick and choose. And Ken, you got to worry about yourself, worry about your own sins here. (laughs) <laughs> I love that one, you know, that one meme or it's like a little video of a little girl and she's like, and her dad's like telling him to put on her seatbelt or whatever. And she's like, he's like, Hey, <gasps> yes, I've seen it. It's so cute. He's like, do you got it? Are you okay? Are you okay? And she's like, worry about yourself. Drive. <laughs> That's what I want to tell the Ken Paxton. Worry about yourself, Ken. Drive.
0: Hey, kid, Republicans. We have some things really affecting us right now that you're not doing because you're not worrying about yourself and your job like oh i don't know how about what's going on with guns like every week we could report on another mass shooting and we had another mass shooting at unlv and on top of this senate republicans are blocking an assault weapons ban hey ken hey republicans worry about your
2: job because you're not doing it i mean that they we continue to block the assault weapons ban
0: which there's research it is effective so let's just end that there there's plenty of research it is completely effective
2: i don't even think they're arguing that they just are worried about their rights they're worried about their rights and liberties you know whose rights and liberties they're not worried about mine and my daughters yeah i would like a right
0: to life i thought they were the right to life crew but apparently i don't have that right to life and the children of Sandy hook don't have that right to life and The teachers at UNLV, those professors
2: didn't have that right to life. Well, uh, moving on, there is a lot of news. I will say that um, speaking of selfish Republicans, this is a great little segue here. Kevin McCarthy has decided to take his ball and go home. (laughs) He no longer wants to play. If he doesn't get to be team captain, he is done. I
0: feel like Kevin McCarthy resigning reminds me a little of John Boehner here at Ohio resigning. like. Some of it, I feel like they're like, whoa, like once they're the leader, they really have to like see who's in their tent with them. And they're like, whoa, I didn't know this is who you guys were. Like, you guys kind of suck. I don't want to do this. Like some of it is like realizing who their party is that they didn't quite see before. And maybe they didn't want to see, but when you're the leader of the party, you kind of have to deal with everyone Mm -hmm. and see who they Mm -hmm. are.
2: And turns out they're not that fun to work with. (laughs) Just like this idea of whatever, you're not the leader to to leave. Like, look at Nancy Pelosi. She willingly gave up um, the minority leadership and and let, you know, to train someone new for, you know, new people to come in, new ideas. And also, I mean.
0: (laughs) Kevin McCarthy's like, Mike Johnson, you're untrainable.
2: This is untrainable territory. I'm out. (laughs) It is kind of fair, I guess. That is, that is sort of, I think, accurate. One of my favorite things, I only call him now Republican Moses, because if you missed (laughs) the story last week... This is a good
0: one. uh, Also scary. This is a pretty scary story. It's funny, but also really scary.
2: This is actually very scary. I agree. So last week he was speaking, uh, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, he was speaking at the Museum of the Bible, and I guess he thought no cameras were on, which, I mean, for the love of all that is holy, including Moses... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do not ever think that there is no media or someone is not recording something. I mean, how stupid do you have to be? Even my 12 year old daughter knows this anyway. So he's like whispers now that the media is not here. Let me just tell you something for three weeks during the speaker debacle, God spoke to me and said that I would be the speaker. I am like Moses of our generation. Was it like a Snapchat? Does God have like a God Snapchat that he like? (laughs) I don't. I don't know exactly how he heard God's voice. But so my question is: Okay, Moses, Republican Moses, you you are Moses. Tell me who the other characters are in this. um, And this just set the scene for me. Who is Ramses II in your scenario? Who is the Jews? Like who are you leading and where? Out of what and into what? Just the idea um, of this is because, you know, I'll tell you, we don't, yeah, Amanda and I both come from an evangelical Christian uh, background. And, you know, this imagery is very powerful, but I feel like no one is like giving it really some critical thought. And, but what they're doing when they say these things. And another thing that they really like to say is that, you know, God, which the Bible said that God puts leaders in, and their positions. So they forgive Trump for his indiscretions because they say that God put him in in that position and therefore it's sanctioned and it's okay. And to which I would say what about Hitler was that sort of sanctioned? And also what about President Biden? Did God not put him in charge as well? So you can't just have it when you want to have it. It can't just be true it's convenient for you but when he likens himself to moses it is really he is trying to say god told me i'm supposed to be here i'm supposed to do this and you need to accept it because i have heard from god and like a lot of people don't question that at all and i think it's quite dangerous rhetoric and there are issues
0: with thinking you're yeah exactly with thinking you're anointed by god because then you don't even care if the election results are true or not right you're anointed by god of course you're going to overthrow it right you're anointed by god you should be there because of some i don't know god snapchat you think happened and appointed you as leader but like we've been down this road before right our country was kind of founded on the fact that we didn't think we should have a king or a queen anointed by god it's pretty fundamental in our democracy and suddenly we're like, well, I don't know. Maybe we should go back to the whole king anointed by God thing.
2: We've been there. Didn't work. Yeah. No, I, I think you're, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. So I just something, you know, something to keep your eye on. And again, I think something to mention to people, uh, mm-hmm. y'all people are not hearing a lot of these stories. You're listening to this podcast and you're hearing the current events, um, and, and I assume you're also plugged in in other places as well, but a lot of people aren't. And these are the conversations we need to have very casually and mention these things so that people see who our elected officials really are both the good and the bad. So right now, I think um, speaking of our elected officials, I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. We're gonna take a quick break and we will come back and we'll have our interview with Congressman Debbie Wasserman Schultz.
1: We hope you're having a safe and happy holiday season. Here at Red, Wine & Blue, we're taking this opportunity to celebrate everyday heroes, from our pod hosts, to our amazing guests, to you. We wouldn't have so many victories to celebrate from this year's election if it wasn't for your support. And now we're making it easier than ever to be a superhero for our sisterhood. To make a donation to our year-end giving campaign, or to learn more, visit pod.redwine.blue slash give, or click the link in the show notes.
2: Today, we're joined by the Congressman for Florida's 25th District. I must say, I think that is the best district in Florida. (laughs) I could be partial because it is also my district. (laughs) She is also the former chair of the Democratic National Committee. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, thank you so much for joining us today.
3: It is absolutely my pleasure. Uh, I'm proud to be with this powerhouse panel, um, especially because I am a suburban woman and represent lots of them. I love it. Yes,
2: you, you live very close to me. I also live in suburbia. Well, we just made it through a stressful election season and... Right around the corner, there are the 2024 elections, they're on everyone's mind. Reproductive freedom won big this year, but how do you think that's gonna translate into wins for 2024?
3: You know, I I think that pundits were pretty surprised, but women weren't. (laughs) This is really, I think, the understandable reaction to the Dobbs decision, which was such a gut punch to generations of women, you know, I spent really my whole whole adult life. I mean I was 6 years old in 1972 and uh so my my generation even I'm a Gen Xer had reproductive rights our entire lives. But here we are with uh with Dobbs having been decided and explosions all over the country in red states where Suburban women in particular, women who are, you know, consider themselves independent, women that consider themselves, let's say, moderate Republicans, and then of course, women who have staunchly supported vocally reproductive rights for you know their entire lives have watched our, our rights erode. And when the rug was pulled out from under us, this is the result. And so I think the momentum is there in in my state, um in, in mine and Rachel's state now. I mean we have the I would say likelihood i'm going to speak it into existence the likelihood of having a constitutional amendment on the ballot yes. that would grant affirmatively women in this state the right to make their own reproductive choices uh, tied to viability and uh, by the way if there are uh, women from florida who are listening please go to the floridians protecting freedom website download a petition and sign it because we've got 621,000 signatures as of this month. And when we get to the required number, the Supreme Court will review it and we're headed towards the ballot. And I think that's going to roll, uh, roll forward all over the country. I also think that it's going to drive turnout and impact elections up and down the ballot where those, uh, those measures are on ballots.
0: Wow. Well, so I'm sitting in Ohio. So if Ohio is any indicator, I think this will go. It went very well in Ohio. uh, And I am looking forward to seeing this in Florida. But one thing I noticed sitting here in Ohio is that I think a lot of, especially young women, so you mentioned young women, didn't hear the stories from women because I think, uh, well, no, I know, historically, we haven't listened to the stories of women. And it's been interesting seeing in the wake of the Dobbs decision, We see especially older generations coming out and telling their stories of what it was like before roe v wade and seeing young women getting the chance to hear the stories that they didn't hear before so i'm wondering do you have an idea of like how important those stories are and what are the stories that you've heard from women about reproductive freedom so
3: honestly we don't even need the stories of what it was like beforehand we have them now every day you have horror stories all over the country Uh, look what's going on right now in texas oh my gosh yes they have a six-week abortion ban there's a woman who a judge she did exactly what the law requires went to a judge the judge reviewed the evidence determined that her life would be in danger if she did not have the ability to terminate her pregnancy and the attorney general ken paxton has threatened to prosecute any doctor that will perform the abortion. Scary. If that is, you want to talk. You know, ladies, I'm on the weaponization subcommittee, select subcommittee right. in Congress, and that's ostensibly the the extremist Republicans' tool uh, that they're trying to show that somehow Democrats weaponize government. Right. They, if that is not a weaponization of government, then I don't know what is. The long arm of the law, using authority he does mm-hmm. not have to threaten yeah. doctors with imprisonment. They can go to prison for life if they get prosecuted successfully. Yeah.
2: For holding up their oath as a doctor.
3: So we got horror stories right now.
2: But it's it's not just that, it's not just her. It's, it's these three medical facilities where the doctor in question has privileges and he's threatened to re- restrict their licensing. So then they have to choose, give care to one person or stop giving care to thousands of people? In the meantime, there's a woman whose life is in danger. And that's the question.
3: Did you see the story in Broward County where we live, the two women who yeah. actually met each other in the doctor's office and had the exact same situation where basically if they were not able to, and they, and they were too too many like days past the 15 year abortion ban, and they found out that not only their... Would their fetus not survive? One of them, if she did not terminate her pregnancy, was her, her fertility was going to essentially be impossible. And I mean, that's the kind of consequence that is happening right now. Never mind the code hanger, horrific stories, which we'll, we'll also face uh, if, this, if this gets worse and goes on too much longer.
4: I think that right now, what we're seeing across the country is uh, the effects of overturning Roe v. Wade, don't just touch abortion. And I think that's really important. Um, and I think that's something that we can need to continue to amplify going into 2024. The people who are for these extreme measures, they aren't just going after their abortion, they are criminalizing your actual health care like they are making it to where they would rather see you die or dying before they relinquish control over your body.
3: They want the full panoply of reproductive options to be restricted. And they want government to make those decisions and not leave those decisions between a woman, her doctor and her faith. And that's outrageous. And I I, I, I am heartsick sick that it's happening. but. We're dealing with extremists who hopefully will feel that backlash at the ballot, at the ballot box. And we and that's why we were able to uh, have fewer losses in the 2022 election and win the majority in 2018 because of their extremism.
4: Yeah, I, I think they're shooting themselves in the foot every time they do something like this, every time they pass one of these laws, every time they pat themselves on the back and say like, oh, yeah, we did a thing. I'm like... Do y'all just not care about elections? Or are you just that dense that you don't see it? <laughs> I haven't quite uh figured it out, but yeah, I think that um Florida is a uh, just one state where the voices of like ordinary people are really being lost amidst this like dramatic like all these dramatic headlines about extremists. What can we do to center the voices of just the regular everyday person again? because I feel like they're just getting drowned out by all the the loud noise.
3: The most important resource that you have is not your money, it's your time, and that's my mantra every time I talk to voters and you know people who are trying to motivate to please contribute your 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 blood, sweat, and tears and not just your treasure. And and so the, what I'm gonna suggest in terms of centering and having the voices of normal people heard is, I know it's hard to feel like you're gonna have an impact when you send an email to a to a elected official and you're right, you know, like we just get a lot of incoming from uh, from constituents and from people who aren't, but like show up to a town hall meeting. Yes. If you have an opportunity to go, I will tell you, you know, you're a state legislator and you probably feel exactly the way I do. Some of the best ideas and feedback I get is at the podium after I'm done with the town hall fielding questions and then someone comes up to me and just pulls me aside and wants to tell me something yeah. that's on their mind. And I know that that takes a lot of time and it's really difficult and people have to get babysitters and they have to try to figure out how they're gonna make it to one of those but we do some of those online now, but make an effort to, to try to have a minute with, or or better yet, bring women together in your mm-hmm. living room. That's what we talk about all the time. Yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Ladies, drinks and <in> town halls. <laughs> Go for drinks, have a town hall after, or have them in your house. <laughs> right.
3: Even without a prominent person, because it's there, right now, normal people feel very alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it feels like everyone around you is extreme. People are afraid not just to speak at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but to even, you know, talk to their next door neighbor. I mean, how many conversations have you had with friends who you might take a step back and... You a little stunned. That- Rachel's like a lot.
2: <laughs> no, just remember I went to my, my neighbor's house the other day and then like I just all of a sudden realized my husband's in like a conversation about he was like the Hunter Biden corruption and I was like literally sweating but I was I was talking to someone else and trying but you know he ended up having a really good conversation and really like breaking it down like actually that's not true and that part's not true either and neither is that part but he's a very calm collective person but he was able to have the conversation but I also am a real believer in just getting together with your friends because like I I talked to a few people when I first moved and they're like, oh, well, will we vote? And I was like, oh, that's great. Guess what? Voting is like the bare minimum. If we want to get rid of the crazy people on the Broward County School Board, it's going to take more than just voting. It's going to take organizing, finding a good candidate and promoting that candidate and making sure. And it's very possible. But it can't just be done when you vote because you have to bring a lot of like-minded people.
4: Absolutely,
3: invite them over for coffee or drinks, um, and especially women, because right now I think women are going to really drive the outcome of elections. And you know, Rachel and Broward, we have had some really nutty people get elected mm-hmm. to the school board or appointed to appointed. the school board by yeah. Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a turnout problem here and 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 other places as well. So we've got we've got to bump the numbers. But when you can. Make people feel like they are not alone and they don't because they don't want to pop their head above the waterline. Yeah. If they feel like they're they're the only one. And so in people and make it easy. So first, you have a conversation in your living room. Then, you know, the next time you maybe give them an assignment. And next time, maybe you're like having them make some phone calls uh, through the, you know, through the auto dialer. Um, I mean, we, we just have a lot on our plates. We have to, in our in our state, we have to get people signed back up for vote by mail. It's not that hard to get people on the phone and just start texting. We've just, we just, we can give people small, easy tasks, but first we have to create, and I hate this term because it's overused, but a safe space for them.
0: I love that you talked about conversations can be kind of small conversations and lead to bigger conversations. They can be just someone at your house. They could be, uh, you know, at the bus stop we talk about sometimes. But a lot of times those conversations do lead to more important conversations and more important engagement that's important for the whole political process. So I know one conversation a lot of us have been having right now that is a hard conversation, I think, for us to have is about the war in Israel, which has been a hot topic in the news and conversations all over America. And we know that disinformation and emotional hot takes are everywhere how can we talk to our friends and neighbors about it in a way that gets back to the humanity of it all?
3: Gosh, it's that's such an important question um, because I think we do have to recognize that, uh, I mean, from my perspective, as a member of the Jewish community, we're in co- incredible pain right now. I- I've never seen more shock and heartache and pain and the reality of this moment and how, you know, thousands of years of hate that have been embedded in, in people around the world are all coming at us at once. You know, if you work with or have a Jewish neighbor, even if they you think they're not religious, even the least religious among us, the most secular of Jews are feeling pain right now. You know, reach out and just say, hey, I hope you're doing all right. I know what's going on is, is really difficult. And I mean, that can start conversations. And, um. I think we also have to recognize that there's a lot of pain in the Muslim community, too, and it's really horrific to see. We have to try to approach these conversations very personally and empathetically. And, uh, and we also have to make sure that we, to, especially to young people, you guys, especially to young people, really urge people to get their news from trusted mm-hmm. sources, because TikTok is not a trusted source of news. And there's so much misinformation and disinformation and people take young people i mean by young people i mean i have you know young early young adults 24 year old twins and a 20 year old and uh, you know like most of their news is consumed through those social media platforms which aren't always uh, ha- don't always have the most veracity let's say it, let's put it that
2: way. uh you know you are part of you were part of nancy pelosi's 30 something working group to address issues that affect younger voters What are, what issues did you focus on and how can the government do more for young people?
3: You know, this is really at the advent of the beginning of social media. Twitter had just barely started when, when myself and several other colleagues uh, that were all in our thirties and were in Congress, we, we were in the minority. It was George W. Bush was president and we didn't have a whole lot else to do at night. So we would go on the house floor and we would just sort of riff Um, on issues that were important to which what we did is, it's not so much that we focused on issues that were important to young people. We tried to make Congress and what we were doing relevant to young people. So uh, we talked about George W. Bush suddenly decided that he had a mandate to privatize social security. Well, we tried to make sure that our generation of, of young people understood If you privatize social, if we privatize social security, it will not be there when you need it. It'll be gone because you'll, we're we're throwing you into the stock market. And we we would say, look, think about it. Do you feel like as a 30 something year old that you're confident in your investment knowledge to be able to invest the the retirement money and make sure you have enough for when you're, when, when you need it? I mean, most people would say, who were listening to us said, well, heck no, I, I, I definitely don't. I need to make sure that safety net is there. And so we tried to use our platform that we had to make people think about things that they may not have otherwise. And we also did it with big, massive props. We did, we brought we created this big blow up rubber stamp and we'd bring it on the house floor. Gas prices were really high back then. And I got a little, I bought on eBay. I bought a little miniature gas tank and I propped it up on the, uh, I got a bobble, George W. Bush bobblehead. We tried to be irreverent. And then we also would telegraph to the Twitter, aud- the, the nascent Twitter audience, and they would respond back to us. Mm-hmm. Like the first time that in social media interacted within, with with IRL and uh, in real life, and we we, we kind of got slapped on the wrist for doing that, but um, we got some pretty good attention and eyeballs from people who wouldn't have otherwise watched C-SPAN.
2: Those are like breaking the rules that everyone would like to welcome back. Uh, th- that would be really nice, like just very quaint, those halcyon days of breaking the rules in that way.
4: Unfortunately, what we see now is a little oh, bit. Yeah. The rule breaking we see now is a lot like of way, it. <laughs> way worse than what that was.
2: Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. But we do always like to end with asking our guests some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Well, the theme of Red Wine and Blues end of the year giving campaign is what's your superpower? So, I'd like to know what you think your superpower is.
3: So, my nickname is Heart Sleeve.
2: Oh. And
3: that's because I wear my heart on my sleeve. Oh. And uh and so I think the impression I leave maybe on TV is that I'm you know pretty assertive and and Maybe the warmth doesn't come through, and uh, so my superpower, especially with um, my friends on the other side of the aisle, is that i I really have an ability to to be a a decent human being and develop personal relationships and you know connect personally on political levels because people want to help people they like and they don't want to help people that they don't like very much, um, so being genuine and trying to build those relationships on a personal level, especially when a lot of what we do is very fake in politics uh, or comes across as fake. I, I think that's probably you know, being, being heart-sleevey.
0: I love that because we see a lot of the public stuff and we see a lot of the Twitter, but we don't often see the interactions that happen behind the scene. Yeah. All right. So what's something great about Florida that not enough people know about?
4: Uh,
3: the Florida Everglades. The Florida Everglades is a national treasure. It is a very unique and massive wetlands e- ecosystem that has that was replumbed you know generations ago and uh, and essentially we started starving our state of the vital drinking water and wildlife and and flora and fauna and we 've had a massive more than twenty year effort to to restore it and restore the natural sheet flow, and it is absolutely exquisitely beautiful. You can come down to Florida, take an airboat ride through the Everglades. See, uh, you, th- there's nowhere else you'll see something like our uh, our national our Everglades National Park. Um, so I would encourage everyone to come and come on down. We have Biscayne National Park, the only underwater national park in the country, um, which is uh, which is the, uh, the yeah. Biscayne Bay National Park. Uh, we have a lot to offer in our in our national parks.
4: All right. So, uh, what do you do for self care? Uh, that's easy. I
3: I taught myself to cook a decade ago. Oh, I could cool. boil water. Yep. I, I I could boil water and scramble eggs, and that was it. And you know, I had been through um, breast cancer and beat it. Um, actually, yesterday was my 16 year cancer anniversary. Oh,
2: congrats, Muscle Tov!
3: Thank you. And so, I I needed to. Change what I was putting in my body, you know, like I had to be more conscious of eating healthy And so I found the clean cooking community on Instagram and I knew I had to start teaching myself to cook because I could control That's the only way I could control what I what I put in my body So I taught myself to cook and I got inspiration from other clean cooking um folks on Instagram, and I created my own Instagram account that is just the food I cook. What? Cute. I love this. I need to go follow this. Follow me on Instagram, Clean Cooking Congresswoman. And uh, so I, we have, I started having Sunday night family dinner with my family. So we did that all the way through when my kids were in middle school. No phones at the table, healthy food, it changed their eating habits. And my girls started wanting to cook with me. And my son came home last year from college and said, Mom, let me... Let Let's cook, let's cook something together. So it really brought us closer together and I lost weight and feel so much better. So you
0: just gained a I follower. I just want you to know. <laughs> Multitasking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, again, it's been so wonderful having you today. I just, I love when we have our elected officials and we can talk to you and, you know, see all aspects of your life, because you're not just an elected official. Um, you're so much more, just like us. You are an elected representative of all the citizens. And it's just great to see another side of you. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Suburban Women Problem.
3: Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Please have me back. This was fun. Thank you.
2: Welcome back, everyone. That was such a great interview. And I love seeing just the different sides to our elected officials to see them more as just, you know, their role, but to see them, you know, for the other roles, like all of us wear mini hats and to see them talk about the other parts of their lives.
0: I was thinking the same thing when i was reflecting on this interview where i thought it is really nice and i love that we also ask kind of human questions of the people that we interview because i rarely see that on cnn or other news outlets where you're finding out who they are as humans and i think it is important to realize that our politicians are humans and they have emotions and feelings and desires and dreams and i also liked how she connected You know, a really tough subject of Israel and Palestine to think how are people feeling, right? How are Palestinians feeling? How are Jewish people feeling right now? And to understand that they might be angry or afraid or sad, right? And that is a real emotion that they are having, right? So is right now maybe the best time to, you know, pick out the details you've heard on a news site or something, right? And I think understanding that people are coming at this with a lot of emotion. Can help you see them as people and have a more understanding and empathetic conversation than I think we're currently having right now.
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I I like how she talked about getting to know her colleagues, uh, especially on the other side of the aisle, and getting to know them as humans and you know getting to like them. And it reminded me of a story of uh, my previous sender, Jim Enhoff, and when his son died tragically in a I believe it was a, an airplane accident. And he talked about how his colleagues from both sides of the aisle reached out to him. And he was in shock that Democrats reached out to him when his child died. I mean, it was, it was an adult son, but still, I do ever stop being a parent. Absolutely not. And I just, it made me so sad for him mm. that he was, that was his view. Of humanity, of people. Yes, yeah. that it was like so remarkable that he talked about it. Yeah, I mean, that he thought so little of his colleagues that he had so little faith that they would see his humanity and his hurt as well. And I don't know, it's just the whole thing was overwhelmingly sad to me. And he talked about it more than once in more than one interview. Anyway, well, we need to end on a happy note. So Amanda, what is your toast to joy this week? All right so my toast to joy is to the pilgrim
0: united church of christ in akron actually this episode has been very churchy (laughs) so i was actually at our um, hanukkah services at our synagogue and they had sent a thousand origami swans to our synagogue um and It was really, it was very nice. And they said that they represented each fold in the paper represented a prayer for peace. And they wanted us to have this kind of support and know that they are praying for for peace. And I thought it was just a really nice sentiment of one church reaching out to another to just say, "Look, we are praying for peace as you are as well, and know that you have people that are here with you." And I just want to thank them. It was, it was really nice. We all really enjoyed looking around the synagogue, seeing these thousand origami swans.
2: I love that. Um, Wow. That's so thoughtful and so meaningful, I think as well. Um, Well, my, my test of joy this week is actually, we were, um, Alex and I were talking, I mean, I, I've really been just heartbroken about the, this case in Texas, because it echoes things that Alex and I went through in our um, journey to become parents. And so I, I, suggest, I said, you know, more men should be talking about this. And, you uh, know, I said, actually, maybe you could write something. And at first he was like, "Well, what am I going to write about it? And I was like, well, you know, we, we, you could share our personal story. And he kind of balked and I said, I'll help you. We can write it. And I think it could be really meaningful. And so I just, I just want to read like, at the end on his sub stack, at the end, his sub stack is called why it matters. And at the end, he kind of gives like a, you know, why, what he said, why it matters. This really doesn't need a long explanation. I'm sorry that I gave you one. But, um, and this is what he said, why it matters. I'm a husband and a father to a daughter. I will do anything and everything to ensure my family's health and safety. The radical Republicans preach about rights and liberties and claim the government is interfering in parents' decisions. But the reality is their primary goal is restricting rights. They view power as a zero-sum game. They have more power when they are restricting the rights of others. I did not devote more than 20 years of my life to defending America's rights from foreign threats to have domestic radicals threaten the dignity and lives of my wife and daughter. I will not allow the regressive Republicans' war on rights and freedoms to take choices away from my daughter, who now enjoys less rights than my wife did at her age. Well said. It's very well said. He said that more men should speak out about this. And and again, he, he shared our personal story and... I think more men do need to speak out. And he, in his book, he purposefully didn't talk about this very much because he felt it was my story to share. And this is a common thing. But unfortunately, we are in a horrible place. And it is going to take, we talk about this all the time, we need to have uncomfortable conversations. This is very uncomfortable for him. It was very personal. He is much happier talking about uh, you know, geopolitics. But anyone who has a voice, and you, when I say anyone, I mean, you listener, it's you because you have a voice and you have an influence over the people in your lives. So my toaster Joyce is my husband who got out of his comfort zone for me, for his daughter Aww. and used his voice for this purpose. And I hope that you, the listeners will be able to share your personal stories as well. Even when I know it's not comfortable guys, I sent this this story to so many people. And it was really uncomfortable to me. But I was like, look, I don't know what you've heard. If you've heard about the story, this is happening. I'm sure you don't want this to happen. And I just did. And it led to some some people who didn't respond. And some people who wrote back to me was like, thank you for letting me know what's going on. I would never want this. That's the point. Unless you're Ken Paxton. Most people do not want this, but they're not willing to say it. And so we have to tell people mm-hmm. what's going on. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. We're coming up on the end of the year, which means we're also coming up on the end of Red Wine and Blue's year-end giving campaign. We're able to have important conversations all year round because of your support. You can learn more and donate at pod.redwine.blue. Thanks again, and we will see you again next week on another episode of the Suburban Women Problem.
1: The Suburban Women Problem was created by Red, Wine, and Blue. Our producer and editor is Amy Thorstenson. our project manager is Lindsay Quist, and our editorial assistant is Abigail Martin. For more information about upcoming events and trainings, or to learn more about Red, Wine, and Blue, follow us on social media or at www.redwine.blue.